This podcast series is brought to you from the University of Winchester. We invite you to listen in as we talk with both academics and practitioners about their approaches to peace building and conflict transformation, discussing some of the most complex and pressing challenges we face in the world today. I'm Dr. Andre Gomez Suarez, Senior Research Fellow at the Winchester Center for Religion, Reconciliation and Peace. And I'm very pleased today to be joined by Peter Drury. Peter Drury is the representative of the Colombian Commission for the Clarification of Truth, Coexistence and Non-Repetition in the United Kingdom. Peter is a human rights researcher and campaigner Much of his research work over many years has focused on Colombia. He worked in the Colombian research team of Amnesty International for over 20 years. He has also worked for Oxfam and Global Witness and as a Peace Brigades International volunteer in Colombia. He has obtained MAs in Latin American Studies and International Law at the University of Liverpool and the SOAS University of London and is pursuing further postgraduate work on Colombia. Peter, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for your time. Truth commissions have become standard transitional justice mechanisms since the 1990s. The South African Truth Commission, with uh, Desmond Tutu as president, is perhaps the most well-known of the truth commissions so far in the UK. So before we start talking about the Colombian Truth Commission, Peter, why don't you tell us a bit why uh, we should be talking about a Colombian Truth Commission uh, in the United Kingdom? Why should it be of interest? I think there are several reasons why um, the UK, uh, people in the UK and the UK government should be interested in the Truth Commission process in, in Colombia. Um, first of all, um, even though it may not be the, the, the focus of, of a, a huge uh, of all investment by the by British companies. There's been a long history of of British economic involvement in Colombia, so there are those economic uh, important economic links with with Colombia over many many years. Um, secondly, um, there's been a long history of migration from Colombia to the UK. Um, decades ago, a lot of people arrived in the UK, possibly just looking for work. But bit by bit, as the conflict intensified in Colombia, this long running conflict of decades long uh, conflict, many people started arriving as refugees, which has meant there's a large, fairly large number of Colombian refugees or exiles in the UK. And that's, that's quite an important um, dimension of why the UK is is a major focus of the work of the Commission. Um, So in terms of Europe, uh, the UK is one of the countries with most uh, Colombian exiles. Um, I think Spain has more uh, m- more members of the, of the Colombian refugee community here. Um, thirdly, I think uh, the UK has played an important role, along with other countries, in, in in following the peace process over many years in Colombia and supporting the peace process. And indeed, the UK government, and the, through its embassy in Colombia, has played an important part in supporting the work of the uh, of the Commission. So all these reasons, I think, are partly why this sort of uh, well, 
the, the general UK public should be interested in what's going on in Colombia and 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 why that why we should be following what's going on in Colombia closely. Well, that's that's great. So, you know, you're making us clear why we should be paying attention to this from here. But then the other thing that strikes me, and I guess people might be interested to understand this, is that you are the representative of the Colombian Truth Commission in the United Kingdom. Why is there a need for a representative um, of the Truth Commission here? Um, I think for, for several reasons. One, um, one, of course, there is an important and dynamic Colombian community in the UK, not necessarily all concentrate most um, Colombians in the UK live in, in in London, but of course they live in other parts of the country as well. Um, just because people are Colombian doesn't mean they're all together necessarily. There's different um, different dynamics within the Colombian community, and so one reason possibly is to have um, somebody who's got a bit of an overview of the Colombian history of the conflict over the last few decades, um, and simply acts. Uh, to, to provide some kind of facilitation to bring people together and um, to work together in, in, in the different um, aspects of work of the Commission in the UK. So that's partly why um, there's a need for that. But it's not just part of the work is, of course, um, uh, that of catalyst. It's not about saying the representative is in charge of anything. It's more about saying it's a catalyst, making because ultimately the Truth Commission process is one that's meant to be led and is led by the victims themselves. So it's really about uh, encouraging people, uh, creating the framework, if you like, so that people can, can express themselves in different ways. Um, so it's not just the fact that they may be giving their testimony, but they may be wanting to take part in artistic or um, other kinds of initiatives to, uh, to secure recognition of what they suffered, recognition of the, of the exile community. There's, um, also, another part of the work is to coordinate uh, lobbying and press work. It's important that more people know in the UK know about this work, but also to make sure that uh, parliamentarians in the UK are fully aware of the work, because ultimately there's going to be a lot. There's a need for a lot of support for the work at the international level. I see. But Peter, so please try to explain to us um, this idea of you know, when you think about South, South Africa or other truth commissions, most of the work of those commissions have taken place in the countries where there was this need for collecting testimonies. But so you are telling us that the Colombian Truth Commission is now collecting testimonies of Colombians also outside Colombia? Is doing a specific work with the Colombian diaspora? Could you explain that to us? Uh, yes, I mean, in contrast with previous truth commissions, this truth commission has invested a lot of effort in trying to collate the testimonies of, of the exiled community. So conservative estimates, or at least the official estimates of the UN system, estimate there's something like 550,000 Colombians in exile. But, uh, I mean, that's a very conservative figure because this only includes those people who formally applied for, for refugee status. We know there's many people who fled the country for reasons of the conflict, but never sought asylum as such. So it's in part, it's to acknowledge the scale of the, uh, of the, of the number of people who fled the country because of the conflict over so many decades. Um, and 
in part, no doubt, through the through the efforts of the victims movement, in, not just in Colombia, but internationally, to get their voices heard. Um, when talking to the exile community in, in the UK and other parts, there's a great sense of frustration sometimes, perhaps that's the word, of how they feel they, they haven't been acknowledged, that their struggles have not been acknowledged, um, that they too want to be recognised as part of, of the, um, you know, uh, that, that, that what they suffered is, is, should be acknowledged. To try and make that clearer, part one of the core aims of the Commission is to make sure that exile itself um, having to flee the country is recognised as one of the violations of the conflict. Um, instead, what there is in Colombia, people will say, sometimes will say, well, there's no acknowledgement of this, and there are ref Colombian refugees. And perhaps even people are surprised when they're in Colombia, when they hear there were refugees from Colombia in other countries. So it's a, it's a hidden problem, something that's just not been discussed. Um, then there's certain prejudices or myths that develop around those that, that seek exile. For example, oh, they've gone to rich countries, so they're living in the in the lap of luxury, and this to many people in exile is completely very very frustrating, especially given that um, exile for them, as they will tell you, is not just about um, fleeing the country; it's about breaking up with your family, um, it's about abandoning your what what. Uh, um, what in Colombia might be referred to as your life project. So you may have a career path, for example, and you have to abandon that. You suddenly, uh, you know, from having studied and um, medicine or whatever it is, suddenly find that your qualifications are of no worth in the country you've gone to, or not at least are not recognised. Um, so you're having to start from scratch. So there's all these frustrations, people living in very, very difficult conditions, not to mention the fact that there's a huge amount sometimes prejudice towards refugees um, and we see that sometimes fueled by the attitudes of governments themselves sometimes governments in different parts of the world who to be to, to secure votes will start denigrating the, the refugee population and making out as if they were a problem so this these are the sorts of prejudices they have in the colombian um uh story what people find particularly frustrating and that has been difficult and and is Exile not only, so just to explain that a bit better, obviously people are often fleeing for their lives. Um, they're fleeing from a context in community where they may not have been able to tell their story, or even if they tried to, to, to submit a complaint about why they were being threatened, they would then be threatened or killed themselves. They then arrive in another country and the, and the dominating stereotype about Colombia is drugs. So the moment somebody says, oh, yes, I'm from Colombia, the first thing that's sometimes thrown at them is, ah, you're a drug trafficker, or at least that sort of myth will come around. So in that context, how can I tell my story? If you're just going to laugh at it or mock it or, or play it down as if I'm just somehow involved in drugs, this is, this is insulting. So what you then find is that many people have had to bear, bear suffer their, what, they, what they bear in silence and not be able to talk about it. So this is one of the frustrations about, about being in exile. So they, you have told us that, you know, 500,000 people at least have been living through this situation. Surely they have not come only to the United Kingdom, but you have mentioned also that some of these people have come to Spain and other countries in Europe. So how is the Truth Colombian Truth Commission doing this work with the Colombian diaspora? How many countries? How are they trying to collect these testimonies since 
this is such a humongous task. Yeah, so the, the, the Commission set about sort of promoting the creation of, um, of platforms of, um, of uh, coalitions, if you like, of NGOs, Colombian exiles, um, interested people who would get together in different countries to try and to coordinate the work and publicize the work of the Commission. Um, to do this, there's, this work has been done in roughly 23 countries around the world. Um, and they started work, you know, a couple of years ago when the, when the Commission started working, so practically in the beginning, to start promoting the work of the Commission, making sure that the, the Colombian diaspora in each country was aware of the work of the Commission, that the Commission existed, and so on. Um, so that's, that task began from, from the very beginning. Um, in some countries, there is one of these platforms. In other countries, there's several of these sorts of platforms, sometimes for geographical reasons. For example, in Spain, there are several because Spain, of course, is divided into, um, into different states. Um, um, so there's, there's been a regional focus, if you like, or a, um, a state focus. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's, that. That's how they've tried to, 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 to seek out and to make contact with the Colombian uh, community. Again, the emphasis is on trying to bring the witnesses and the victims themselves into the process to make sure they're core to this process. Uh, because ultimately, the commission was created as a result of the pressure and the campaigning of the victims movement. Um, and it, it's, it's always been the intention of the commission to make sure that the victims are fully involved and in leading the process and the you know, and the dynamics of the work in different countries. But to coordinate the work of these different platforms of organizations in 23 countries must be a very complex exercise. So who is in charge or how the, does the commission has decided to divide these responsibilities, you know, inside so to coordinate this work? Um, well, I suppose there's in, in, in Colombia, there's a team if it, in effect of, of uh, uh, people who are in in charge of the work of the um, what's called the macro you know, internacional, so the international work. Um, so they have um, they have coordinated work with the different countries. So they, you know, for example, regular meetings with the different platforms to try and um, collate information on what plans they have, um, uh, and also to coordinate particular events. Um, so that we've all had, if you like, a sort of target to, to, to work towards. So to give one example, or a major example, in November, the Commission organised um, an international meeting um, to focus on the story of exile. And this was organised in, um, and the idea was to try and uh, make sure that every platform had a few minutes to present their story or to present something about their um, to reflect the, the reality of exile in their particular country. Um, um, so, for example, in the UK, we organised um, two activities. One was a public letter to Colombia, where we were inviting members of the community to, to write their demand to the Colombian state for a future Colombia. Um, and also we, we recorded what we called a, a wall of, of voices Basically, these were voices from people in exile um, expressing their, you know, for example, their, their um, recommendations or demands of the Colombian state as a way of expressing sort of um, and get, make sure that this was something that everybody felt um, they were participating in. 
Um, at the moment, for the next few months, the, the central team in Bogota is collating information um, on the different plans there are for the next couple of months before the launch of the report. And the Commission is supported, for example, by in Europe by a, a, a Colombia, uh, sorry, a, 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 an international NGO based in Spain, that's helping to coordinate the work with the the European platforms to make basically to, to like um, to share the workload, if in effect. Um, having said that, um, one thing that's I've noticed um, because of the the, the COVID crisis. Uh, and because most of the activities we are undertaking are virtual, it means actually that to some extent, a lot of the activities we're undertaking are not necessarily U simply UK activities. You find and <laughs> they end up being sort of um, activities involving exiled Colombians, but not necessarily in the UK, it could be in different countries. So so actually the, the COVID crisis has, has provided, you know, by forcing us to be virtual has, um, meant that not everything we do is necessarily um, limited to its own particular sort of country, if you see what I mean. So uh, you make me think that in the case of the Liberian Truth Commission, one of the commissioners was in charge of coordinating the work that they did with the people in exile, because they did some hearings in, in the United Kingdom and in, in, in the US. Is this Colombian team that you are talking about led by one of the commissioners? Is one of the commissioners in charge? And could you explain us a bit about how many commissioners the Truth Commission has and, and sort of how they are dividing their responsibilities? Um, uh, yeah, so we've, we have um, the, the international work is, is in, in the hands of Carlos Baristain. And he's in charge of the what's called the Macro Internacional. Um, Carlos Baristán is a is a doctor, is a psychologist who's worked on previous truth commissions, for example, in Guatemala and other parts of the world. Um, and then he's supported. Well, he, he he's in charge of the international uh, work. Then there's um, a number of other sort of commissioners who have each got their special focus of work. For example, um, a commissioner in charge of uh, gender issues. Um, one of the aspects of this commission is um, uh, a, a central focus is to recognize not just exile, but but how the conflict has impacted um, on gender, on, on, on women, for example. You know, what the, what are specific impacts of the conflict on women? How have they faced up to this conflict and what, what sort of traumas have, have, they, have they had to face? Um, also to recognize the the impacts on the LGBT um, people as well in Colombia, the fact that prejudice has has been used or the conflict has been used to express that prejudice and, and to exercise power and punish, in inverted commas, those that are deemed not to conform to, to the society that those with we weapons think should, should exist. There's also commissioners who have been charged um, with analysis of indigenous, um, indigenous communities, Afro-Colombian communities, etc. And other commissions working on, uh, if you like, more the, the political traits and the, the, the economic um, dimensions of the conflict. And this is all headed by Francisco de Roux, um, a Jesuit priest who has worked for many years in the peace and human rights movement in Colombia. He used to work for one of the major Colombian NGOs called CINEP um, for many years, but then headed a program of peace and 
um, development in the Magdalena Medio region for many years. Um, so that's that's roughly how they're divided. Um, the Carlos works with um, a team, like for example, Alec, um, another human rights defender who's worked many years um, on human rights in Colombia, Alejandro Quiseno, who's who's in charge of the day-to-day -day sort of coordinating with the different nodos to get them to support together. And, and, um, so this is a humongous task. So how long has got the Truth Commission to to do what it has got to do? I mean, what is the mandate? What do they have to deliver? And what is the sort of timeline for that to be done? Time frame is very, very short. Um, so we are the commission, sorry, the commission exists until it hands in its final report. The final report is due to be delivered towards the end of November this year. Now, some people say, oh, yes, but this, this is so complex. The, the mandate, the, you know, the, the commission is analyzing the conflict since 1958 <laughs> to the present, in effect. And some people say, well, the, obviously, that's far too short a time to, um, to do all this work. How, how, how is it can't can be possible? There is a very important reason, though, why the, the the mandate is short and that's to do with the fact that the commission isn't working alone within the transitional justice system so when the peace accord was signed with the FARC in 2016 two other bodies were created one is um uh, what's a unit for the search of disappeared people um which is a non-judicial body like the commission and the other is a special jurisdiction for peace which is a tribunal system which does have the capacity to, uh, if you like, impose alternative sentences on those that collaborate and give, contribute to the truth, so perpetrators of human rights abuses and violations, but is also able to, to impose prison sentences on those that, that are deemed not to have um, provided, given, you know, con contributed to the truth and are responsible for serious human rights abuses or violations. Now, the, the idea of the Commission is that if it if it were to, to run for years and years and years, then it would not be able to feed in to that work. So the idea is to, that hopefully, even though we're not a judicial body, the work and the conclusions of the Commission may at least feed in to those other bodies and indeed possibly to the Fiscalia, to the Attorney General's office, to, um, to, uh, to provide an impetus to particular areas that should be investigated. Now that just explained the Commission Commission's report and just explain the, the, the mandate, um, which might just make things clearer. So the focus of the Commission's, the, the main objectives, um, unsurprisingly, is the clarification of the truth is the first thing. What do we mean by that? The clarification of the truth means trying to clarify uh, why human rights abuses and violations taking place, who was ordering them, what was, for what reason, why was the conflict um, why did the conflict happen in the way it did? It's, it's trying to clarify that. Um, which we're promoting uh, also sort of um, coexistence. Now, um, in, in Spanish convivencia. Now, I notice we don't. Most previous truth commissions have used the phrase reconciliation, and we've been fairly careful. We use the word co coexistence. Why? Because I think this it's it reflects an understanding that reconciliation is a process. You can't just snap your fingers and people will be reconciled. This is a painful process where you have to come to terms with what happened to your loved ones, 
um, understand why the perpetrator did what he or she did, um, not necessarily be able to sort of forgive immediately. We need to understand first. We need to know the truth. So it's a process. Um, the Commission is hoping to contribute to non-repetition. If we can expose what happened and the dynamics of the conflict, hopefully that will help to sort of stop that constant recycle of violence. And that links to the report itself. Having said that we're not a judicial um, body, what we do hope the, the report will do is to expose, to bring to light the, the collective responsibilities of different sectors in the conflict and the, the human rights crisis in Colombia. So for example, not just the responsibilities of guerrilla forces, and here I should say that it's all guerrilla forces, not just the FARC with whom the, the, the peace process was signed recently, um, but also the responsibilities of, uh, of the army, of the police, um, uh, other sort of state security forces, uh, of paramilitaries, uh, but also political sectors, religious sectors, and also economic sectors, and whether they're national interests or international interests. And if we expose how they played a role in, in, in the human rights crisis, um, we hope that that will expose the, the infrastructure, if you like, that, that, that allowed these, these violations to take place, and therefore provide tools for Colombian society in the future to, to challenge um, this injustice in effect. But also ultimately to provide tools to the to the transitional justice system to the the, the courts and so on to to say ah oh, we need to investigate this we need to, to to point to individual responsibilities here so that sounds like a, a really important goal and we know the people who has been working on transitional justice and truth commissions know that some truth commissions are not able to even uh, submit a final report are you optimistic that this is going to happen in the case of Colombia? And what have, has the Commission achieved so far? How many testimonies have been collected? And sort of what, where are we at the moment? Uh, yes, six months before this uh, deadline that the Truth Commission has in terms of the work that has been done. So the last figures I saw for, for, um, for testimonies that have been collated was something like over 7,000 people um, interviewed in Colombia itself, and then um, around 1,800, if not more, people at the international level. Um, so it's been a. Um, so we think it's been fairly successful because um, even though there's a large number of people outside of the country, um, one thing about giving a testimony is it's 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 quite a difficult process for many people <laughs> so it's not that everybody wants to tell their story so it's it's it'd be, you know there's there's it's it's something that some people have to come to terms with so we think overall that's been quite a successful process but it's not just collating those testimonies we've also been doing research we've been collating documents archives from not just within Colombia, whether they, these are official archive material. We've been collating reports from NGOs, from academic institutions, um, from other states. Um, so a whole series of different sort of sources of information we've been trying to uh, pull together in the last few months. And now, um, more or less, we've finished, even though there are a few um, uh, testimonies to still gather just a few last ones to try and um to gather in these last moments um 
we're now the commission's now in this in, in this analysis phase we could call it that <laughs> um basically drafting um the different chapters and uh, areas of work so i'm for example i'm helping with some of those um and that's going to be some of the the major task in april is to start at least preparing drafts on on different components of the report will there be a report well i think there will be a report but uh, one thing that just to go back to what i think i was trying to say the report is not the end the report is the beginning of the process um and it's not what the commission hopes there'll be is, is then there'll be following the commission there'll be a a, um, a follow-up committee which has been discussed and, and in colombia and also supported at the international level by by volunteers who will hopefully monitor and help push the recommendations that this that come out in that report um i could say a bit more but if you think for another question <laughs> let me um i mean that sounds like uh you know something quite positive um for the country so before we end this podcast uh, peter perhaps the last question that it would be good to try to answer is to discuss is what is the political climate in colombia do you think this is going to be well received by colombian society and why is it important the international community after the submission of this report bearing in mind the political climate in the country um right first of all the, the political climate is difficult we 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 acknowledge that the conflict is not over in colombia and, and you can see the news recently the different the continued reports of massacres killings of human rights defenders um the situation is is when you know is 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 very very serious um so we're not trying to downplay that we're trying to acknowledge that this is uh, ongoing just to clarify that we are hoping at least that report will provide some tools to stop this repetition and this vicious cycle of violence so the situation is is, is difficult will the report be well received well let's let's look at the um, some indications which suggest that there's going to be <laughs> it's this is a very difficult challenge First of all, I just mentioned the ongoing killings of human rights defenders. Human rights defenders killed. Why are they killed? Because they're telling the truth, because they're trying to explode, expose what's happening. Um, and for those that are trying to protect their impunity, they are a big problem. And that's why they've been targeted. So in that sense, we know there is a lot of opposition to the work of the Commission, and that's reflected in months and months of um, criticism, serious attacks against the Commission from fairly high up sort of members of society you know um and, and so on Recently, and the state the state um, too the government too or not well in the past there was apparently statements by it's often people associated but not as you know the, i think the government is a bit more um hasn't said directly however what we have is statements which are very problematic the attacks against not against the commission directly but against the the people trying to present them the thousands of suggesting that they they were um you know subversive and biased against the army this is problematic the point i'm trying to make is that the truth hurts and there are, this is not a popularity context whatever we say is not going to be uh, welcomed by many sectors whether they're from the guerrilla side or from the other side of the conflict um and we're not here to get to gain popularity we're here to, to tell the london society and the community the international community itself what happened during the conflict 
How are we going to do this in this context of attacks and criticisms? We need the international, uh, international community to be backing this work to underline that this is legitimate in this context where, the, where our work is being presented as being subversive in some way often. We need the international community set to underline this is a legitimate task. The truth is legitimate um, and we need it to be listened to and exposed. We need that support because we want to make sure the, the, the report isn't censored or stuck under a table or hidden away when it comes out. We need it to be uh, and full of noise when it comes out. And furthermore, we need support for that follow-up committee to be able to ensure that those recommendations are worked on. But that's where the international community has got a, a big role to play. Peter, thank you so much. I think it's been fantastic to be able to talk to you. Now we understand why there is a representative of the Colombian Truth Commission in the United Kingdom. We know the important role that the international community could play in order to back up the work of the Colombian Truth Commission in Colombia. And we know how much work has been put into including the voices of people in exile, which with what you have told us is something very innovative compared to other truth commissions. So thank you very much for being here with us and we look forward to seeing you in future uh, podcast. Okay, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thank you.